On the eve of Thanksgiving and the start of the holiday season, we had the incredible honor of interviewing Frank Siller. Frank is the founder and CEO of the Stephen Siller Tunnel to Towers Foundation. Without further ado, we hope you enjoy episode 30 of IAFCI Presents the Protectors Podcast with special guest Frank Siller. Introducing the Protectors, inside criminal minds from around the world. Presented by the IAFCI, leaders in safeguarding consumers from fraud and scams for more than 50 years. And now your hosts, International President Mike Carroll and International VP Mark Solomon. It is my honor to welcome to the podcast the founder and CEO of the Stephen Siller Tunnel to Towers Foundation, Frank Siller. Frank, welcome to the show. Well, thanks a lot for having me on, and I love being on, being it's day before Thanksgiving, to give thanks to this great country, even though everything doesn't turn out just the way I like it, um, it's the greatest country that ever existed. So thanks for having me on today. Frank, like Mark said, such an honor to have you on our show today. Can I ask you, can you tell us about your brother, Stephen, and uh, the type of person he was? Sure, Mike. Yeah, so Stephen was a New York City firefighter who, on September 11, 2001, was just finished his night tour in Squad 1 in Brooklyn. And he was on his way home to play golf with me, my brother George, my brother Russ. It was going to be a day the four brothers played golf because, you, you know, for those who live in New York, they certainly remember how beautiful it was here, the beginning of that day. Anyway, he heard on his radio scanner that the towers were hit, and he turned his truck around, went back to his firehouse, and his company had already responded, like I said, Squad 1 in Brooklyn. And uh, so he got his gear, put it in his truck, drove to the mouth of the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. Now, that tunnel connects Brooklyn with downtown Manhattan, and uh, it was closed for security reasons. People, you know, were abandoning their cars in there, and they were running out away from Manhattan. Uh, my brother was faced with a decision and he decided to put his 60 pounds of fire gear on his back and ran through that tunnel, which is nearly two miles long, came out, went up West Street. We believe he went into the South Tower because uh, his body was never recovered, but the rest of his firefighter buddies from Squad One were, a lot of them were recovered in the South Tower and you would want to fight uh, and be together, you know, for this tremendous fire with the brothers that you train with every day. So he, we believe he went in the South Tower and gone up those stairs. And while saving others, he gave up his life. And Stephen was the youngest of seven. He was uh, our little brother. Um, he was married. He had five beautiful children. And when we found out what he did, we knew we had to do something to honor his legacy. And that's why we started the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. Wow. Hey, Frank, did he always want to be a fireman? You know, he, he did. You know, we, we come from, uh, I'm not saying he verbalized it, you know, since he was like uh, a little uh, little boy. And as a matter of fact, uh, there's so many horrific parts of this story uh, and there's so many beautiful parts of my brother's legacy. Uh, but when he was uh, eight years old, our dad died. And a year and a half later, our mom died. And um, we were, you know, he was orphaned at age 10. And so we raised them as old, much older, we're much older than Stephen, and we raised them as older siblings. And so he didn't always say he wanted to be firefighter, but on my mother's side, she had a couple of firefighters and police officers in the family. We have a lot of cousins that are firefighters. My nephew just got on the job, as a matter of fact, 
just before 9-11. But he did mention once when he was away with my brother Russ on vacation uh, that he said, I'm, you know, almost got in a fight somewhere. He says, I'm a New York City firefighter. <laughs> and uh, so he did have it on his mind for quite a while. And Frank, uh, you brought up your family there. Uh, you had six brothers and sisters uh, in addition to yourself and Stephen being the youngest and you being the oldest. I know you talked about your parents passing in a very short period of time. How did the Siller family come together and deal with that tragedy even before 9-11? That must have been a difficult thing to deal with. And how did that affect your relationship with you and Stephen? Well, so it was so terrible. I remember after my dad died and Stephen like being so upset and saying to my mother, now you're not going to die on me, right, mommy? You're not going to die on me, you know, because he was only, you know, a little over eight years old. And of course she reassured him I'll be around and, you know, you don't know what life has in store. And like I said, a year and a half later, she dies of cancer and, um, and he is just uh, traumatized. It's just, uh, just even think about it. It's so upsetting because he was just so torn apart and um but we all came together then and we all were there for him and as a matter of fact i remember soon after my my mom died after losing you know both parents i was out in long island my brother stephen lived primarily with my brother russ from rockville center in long island and i was spending a day with him and he was getting all upset and he was overcome with emotion and i said stephen what's the matter with you and he said Frankie, why was I even born? Why am mm-hmm. I here? I mm-hmm. wish I wish I was I wish I was never born. And I said, Stephen, don't say that. I said, Mommy and Daddy loved you so much they brought you into this world. And your brothers and sisters, we will always be there for you and we will never let you down. And I said, God put you on this earth for a reason. I don't know what it is, but one day you're gonna do something special. And you know, he was very resilient. The rest of that day was beautiful. Uh, I'll never forget it the rest of my life, obviously. But he was a very resilient young boy, and it became a very resilient young man. Now, I will tell you that he had a crazy adolescence, and uh, but a lot of Sillas do have crazy adolescence. But he landed on his feet at a very early age. By 18 years old, he was done with all the nonsense, and he was ready to be a productive human being. And believe me when I tell you, that boy was productive. And reproductive too, because he had five kids. I was, gonna, so, I was just, that's right. That's I was just right. going to ask you that. How is uh, his wife Sally and uh, the children doing now? They're doing great. Couple of them, all of them, at one point or another, were involved with the foundation, you know, as volunteers. But two of them have been doing tremendous work over the last year and a half or so with us. You know, working with a lot of fallen first responder families and Gold Star families and. It's just an incredible human beings, and you know it's it's hard for them. I mean, today, it, you know, Stephen uh, would have been fifty six today, and today. Wow. to talk to you, yep, and to talk to you on this day, it's just it's just gut wrenching. Uh, but you know, here's the thing, you know, when we found out that Stephen wasn't coming home, um, and I say this to you because on nine eleven, a, a friend of his who lived right there on on his block called me a firefighter and he uh he said to me you know frank uh it's really bad down here and i said richie i, I know this it's it's i could see it on tv I, I could see how bad it is he goes no it's really bad and i said rich i could see it. and he goes no 
Nobody's coming home, Frank. You got to understand this: that nobody's coming home. Oh man. And, yeah, and, I, uh, and then uh, I, I had to go tell my siblings who were in the other room because we all had gathered at my house, and uh, and you know I walked in the other room and told them, and we uh, we literally uh, went uh, to our knees and just disbelief that we can't believe that you know our little brother was gone, and uh, but we made a conscious decision to get off our knees not that day, we did that day just to go down to Sally's house, but but to get off our knees and do something positive with Stephen's sacrifice. And that's the way yeah. he would want it to be. And that's what we've been doing now for 21 years. And, and Frank, you know, it, like I said, I don't think there's a single person that was old enough to remember 9-11, uh, where they were that day, uh, the utter sorrow and pain that everybody felt as everything was unfolding there. You know, I wanted to bring up a, a point here is that um, a phrase you commonly state is never forget. And and over the last 21 years, you know, you, your family, your organization hasn't forgotten Stephen. And he may not be with us here physically, uh, but he is here in spirit and in the work that you guys are doing. So, you know, we thank you so much for this. And we want to get into a little bit more of the foundation. But I wanted to ask you one quick question first, though. You mentioned uh, growing up in Staten Island. Um, your parents were uh, raised a Catholic, and, and they were in the Franciscan order. Um, how much did faith help you uh, during these difficult times? Everything. It was the reason why all of us came out the other side. No question about it. Uh, my parents were true Franciscans. They taught us to serve and to be there for others and for each other. It was always family first with them and and God. And we uh, and we lived that life growing up. And that's why Stephen found it within himself to give his life for, you know, for for others. And that's why we have found it in ourselves to devote our lives in memory of him and all those who perished on that that faithful day. St. Francis of Assisi said, brothers and sisters, while we are here, while we have time, let's do good. And that is exactly what the foundation is all about, to make sure that we never forget we honor the sacrifice, and we honor the sacrifice by doing good. Hey, Frank, when did the idea of the Stephen Siller Tunnel to Towers Foundation begin? Well, we, we started the foundation, it was up and running in December of 2001, but we knew we were going to do it days after 9-11. Um, I uh, was walking with my siblings, with my brother Russ. Primarily, we walked two or three times a day during those first days. And uh, I was trying, we were trying to think of a name for the foundation because I, I said to my siblings, let's do a foundation. I talked to Stephen's wife. I said, I think we should do a foundation in honor of Stephen. And she said, yes. And uh, that's when we, uh, we decided that, you know, we have to, the whole premise will be about doing good. And taking care of kids. And what does it mean by taking care of kids? Taking care of the kids that are left behind of these great heroes that make the ultimate sacrifice. So, yeah, you know, we didn't know everything that we were going to do, uh, but we knew what we were going to do was important and good. And uh, we had no lofty goals. We just wanted to, once again, like I said, uh, honor the sacrifice and to make sure that we never forget September 11th. And Frank, and obviously where, where it all began for Stephen at the uh, Brooklyn Battery Tunnel and 
his final journey, um, you know, to the towers. Like I said, you recently took that walk and you actually took a walk all the way from the Pentagon uh, to Shanksville uh, and eventually winding up on September 11th last year at the Twin Tower uh, site. Can you tell us a little bit of what that walk meant to you and some of the interactions you had along the way? Uh, yeah, first of all, it was the most spiritual thing I ever did. Um, you could imagine it was 552 miles, about 15 miles a day for almost six weeks. And I wanted to do something to honor my brother in a simple way, walking, but in a way that it would bring attention to what, not just what he did. And I, and we, we knew really on as a foundation to make sure that we honored all those who perished that day, but most certainly first responders. Yeah, 420. And, uh, I think it was uh, 421, right, uh, first responders that uh, yeah, died that day. 343 yeah. firefighters, 37 Port yep. Authority police, 23 NYPDs, and, and other uh, law enforcement. So, yes, 400-plus first responders. Because, I mean, they ran towards the danger. <laughs> Everyone else is running out of the building away. And these guys and women were running towards it. And so that walk was, it, it was incredible. There were no words to express it. I had different things with me uh, from my father, from my brother, Russ, who had passed away early, uh, about a year beforehand. Um, I had a rosary from my, my brother-in-law, who was always saying when he was in Vietnam I had just pictures of my brother, Stephen, in my pocket, and I took all this with me every single day. I started with a reading from one of my siblings, wrote these beautiful little passages every day for me, I, and, I, and I prayed every day. Before I walked, I started, the, my good friend, John Huvain, was the New York City detective, and he gave me holy water every day that I made the sign of the cross on before I started my journey. And many times it was 4, 4.30 in the morning. I would start my walk before everybody else was out there. Wow. So it was so spiritual and meeting so many different people. And then we had parades. We had parades along the way on weekends, you know, and we had barbecues. New York City firefighters barbecued at these gatherings, whether it be three, four, five thousand 5,000 people there on the weekends. And I, and I was able to speak to these people. School, uh, a, lot of, a lot of high schools were there, the bands, the marching bands. It was just glorious. It wasn't even difficult um, and, and physically because I just believed that uh, I had a spirit with me that just carried me through through this. And look, I walked up a mountain one day with a double amputee and he was on his short stubs and we looked straight up at this mountain. I said, oh, my God, how's this guy going to be able to do this? And we walked for about an hour and 45 minutes straight uphill. And this guy did it without stopping and we did it without stopping. So come on, Incredible. when I am inspired by so many sure. people to do these yeah, things yeah. that, that I can never, uh, it was, like I said, it wasn't, it wasn't difficult and I'm just so proud and happy that I did it. And it was something meaningful uh, for sure. But I got to tell you one quick story. I, I said the firefighters were there barbecuing. So I had, I had uh, an RV that was donated to me two RVs, one that stayed with me if I was uh, walking, if I had to use the facilities. Another one that every morning went up about nine miles ahead. I rode nine miles in the morning, six in the early afternoon. And these firefighters would make breakfast for me every day. So when I was finished, let's just say I started six o'clock in the morning, I'm done at nine o'clock. They would have this beautiful breakfast made for me every single day. 
And then I'd walk in the afternoon and then back where I was staying at night, they would cook a, a real dinner for me at five o'clock every single night. They did this every single day for me. And I told everyone, I said, I'm the only guy that walked 552 miles and put weight on. Because <laughs> the way they took it. <laughs> so that's how glorious it was nice. that these guys were yeah. just with me for the whole journey. And they were doing it in honor of their brothers. And I remember when we went many to Shanksville, you know, from the Pentagon to Shanksville, and I was at where Flight 93 came down at the impact zone, and they had this big boulder there, you know, where the plane uh, hit the ground. And um, there was maybe about 70 of us, a lot of them New York City firefighters walked with me that day. And um, I knelt down and I said, I'm going to say a prayer. And if anybody wants to join me in saying a prayer, everybody knelt and put their hand on each person's shoulder. Wow. Mm. And we prayed the Lord's Prayer. And, and it was just so to, how it was, you could imagine how the, yeah. the walk moving, was. And, moving uh, experience. It, it, yes, it was. Unbelievable. Hey, Frank, can I ask you, when, when you started to tunnel the towers, it was initially for those directly impacted by 9-11. But now you've expanded, right? You, you're including police officers, firemen, first responders, military families, including Gold Star families. How's that impact been? Yeah, so when we first started, once again, we had no lofty goals, and we just wanted to be there for kids that lost a parent in the line of duty. And most of it was local because, you know, we weren't raising much money. It had to be local. And uh, so we uh, took that to heart. And then as time went on, we saw that there was such an impact. So many people, we went to war because of what happened on September 11, 2001. So I'm going to give you two quick stories on how the foundation really changed. 2009, the first quadruple amputee to ever survive any war was Sergeant Brenda Morocco from Staten Island. And I went down with a group of people from the foundation. We, I drove down to Walter Reed and to visit him. While I was there, I said, hey, can we build you a house, Brendan? And he said, I don't know where I'm going to live. And I said, it doesn't matter where you live. We're going to build your house no matter where you live. And he goes, anywhere? I said, anywhere. And he goes, you sure? I said, anywhere, Brendan. And he goes, even Hawaii? <laughs> And I said, anywhere, anywhere you want. And so he accepted. And we started to build the first house. And I met two other quadruple amputees. Meanwhile, no one ever survived before losing four limbs on a battlefield. Two more did in the next couple of months. I went down and visited them, Todd Nicely, who, uh, you know, and John Peck. And I went down and I said, hey, can we build you a house? I'm down at Walter Reed now all the time. I meet 38 triple amputees. I asked uh, everyone, can we build you a house? So now we have to raise money. <laughs> now we, you know, because each one of these houses were over half a million dollars, you know, 10, 12 years ago. So we, so we had to start raising money. So that's how it changed and how we started to get involved with the catastrophic lineage of service members. And then in 2014, December 20th, Detectives Lou and Ramos were assassinated in Brooklyn, New York, just because they were wearing the color blue, you know, two police officers. Some crazy person came up from Baltimore and thought he'd be okay. In their, uh, patrol, yeah, they were sitting in their patrol vehicles, right? And just uh, and, and shot and killed, right? Exactly. In the uh, back, they were assassinated. They were assassinated. Mm. And and uh, we, I found out that they were worried about, their families worried about they're going to stay in their house and how they're going to you know, pay their mortgage and stuff. And I, I visited them on Christmas Eve. And I asked them, I, I said, you don't have to worry about staying in your house. We're going to pay off your mortgage. 
And I saw it was life-changing for them. And I said, you know what? We're going to have to start doing this for police officers and firefighters all over for first responders because, look, they give their life up. We better start taking care of them. Now we're doing over 200 a year. The last few years, we're doing over 200 a year between Gold Star widows, foreign first responder families who die in the line of duty. They have young families. That's the thing. You have to have a young family. Uh, left behind, and uh, and the catastrophically injured service members were building mortgage-free smart homes. So over 200 a year. So you can imagine how much revenue we have to raise every single year to make sure that we take care of these great heroes. You know, Frank, uh, from the ashes of the towers and, and such a tragedy, um, you've turned that into towers of hope and, and compassion for others. Man, I'll tell you, like I said, I wish there were, we could clone you in a bottle right now and make a thousand more of you because you're doing the work of a thousand already. It's you know, incredible how much your organization and foundation has grown to help so many. I'm just looking at some numbers here. You've raised over $250 million to help our heroes and their families, 4,500 mortgage-free homes, a half a million people have participated at uh, T2T events. So, um, man, I just have to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for what you're doing and and paying it forward and, and taking a tragedy and turning it into triumph. So thank you for what you're doing. Well, thank you. And thank you both for your service to our country as federal law enforcement. I'm very impressed on, on what you did, the amount of years that you both put in uh, protecting our country, our communities. And uh, so our promise is this, Mark and Mike, Front Tunnel to Towers has made a promise to every law enforcement personnel in America and to our military that if they give their kids a kiss goodbye and they don't come home, we're going to make sure we take care of their families. We're going to give them a mortgage-free home. If they don't have a home, we're going to build one for them. And if they do have a home, we're going to pay off their mortgage. And that is our promise. And that's every single one every single year. Now, we can't do them all at once, but we're going to take on their mortgages right away. And then as I raise the money, we pay them off and we pay them off over 200 every single year. But we got to do more. And that's why we ask everybody go to T2T.org and donate $11 a month. I don't think that's asking too much for Americans to join us on our mission and to make the same promise. And that's what $11 a month can do. and, And it does it. So it's a promise that we're always going to keep and because of the generosity of Americans. And to our listeners out there listening uh, to Frank Siller right now, CEO, founder of Tunnel to Towers, please listen to this podcast, give, help others. Like I said, join in this cause. It is just an incredible thing that you're doing. And that's T2T.org. There's uh, ways to volunteer. There's ways to contribute funds uh, to get involved in these events. So please, if you're out there, we have, uh, Mike, we have, what, 6,000 members in the IFCI? That's correct. Uh, We're reaching out to them to help. And they should know that 95.1% of every dollar that's donated goes to our program. I don't get paid. My siblings don't get paid. We are volunteers like so many others, tens of thousands of volunteers all over the country. And that's why we're able to do the work that we do. So thank, I can't thank you enough for having me on today. And I have a lot to be thankful for. And I, I, let's just pray for this country that we uh, come out the other side. Frank, what you're doing now, especially for the Gold Star families, kind of hits home for me because I had, my cousin was a Chicago police officer. And uh, he died in the line of duty during a routine traffic stop. He was murdered. This is way back in March of 1970. But 
you know, our families getting together and all the kindness and support we got from law enforcement throughout the years and from our community, and even like with you from perfect strangers, would you have like a message to the public when it comes to how how we look at law enforcement and the first responders and our military veterans? Well, first of all, I'm sorry about, about your loss. And okay, how many years later it is, you, you remember it, it never, you, you learn to live with it, but you never forget. And, uh, you know, so look, I just finished getting off the phone hours ago um, with uh, Sergeant Dustin DeMonte's widow, who was the police officer that was in Bristol, Connecticut, that was ambushed and killed. And, um, and his wife, Laura, is pregnant and they have two kids. Mm. You could imagine what that poor lady is feeling like, but she's not alone. There's so many of police officers, you know, die in the line of duty, and many of them are shot to death. And it's disgusting. Uh, my message to all Americans is when you see a police officer or, or somebody who's serving our country, say thank you, because we don't have this country without people like you who serve us and give us our liberties, our freedoms, and our safety. Safety is so important, you know, to, to have every day when you leave your house or you go to bed at night or your kid's going out. You want to feel safe. And that's what law enforcement does for us. And um, instead of spitting on the ground, which people do, and worse, when they see law enforcement, we should get on our freaking knees and kiss the ground that they're on. Because without them, we don't have a society. If we don't have a society, we don't have a country. So that's my message, is to make sure that we are grateful for who they are and what they do for us. Frank, thank you. And and those officers killed were in my home state here at Connecticut. And like I said, uh, our community is suffering and, and knowing that Tunnel to Towers and, and, and Frank Siller has uh, those families in your thoughts and prayers and are willing to help. We appreciate it. I want to switch to a, recently you were interviewed by on Fox News and you referenced a quote that really touched all of us here at the Protectors podcast. And it says, every man has two deaths when he is buried in the ground and the last time someone says his name. And and we heard that man. It just it just sends a message of uh, the message you're trying to get out through the foundation is to never forget. But it's also about educating our youngest generation that maybe did not experience 9/11 or were too young. Can you tell us a little bit about the Tunnel to Towers 9/11 Institute and what you're doing there? Sure, absolutely. And that was Ernest Hemingway that said that um, about a man could die to death. But it says, but in some ways, they could be immortalized. And as long as we keep on talking about them and what they did. So our 9-11 Institute is incredible. We have a curriculum for grades uh, K through 12. Uh, You could just download it. Once again, go to t2t.org and you can't miss it. And you can, age appropriate, you can download the curriculum. And we have so many we have a speakers bureau of 9-11 firefighters and police officers that were fought the first battle, the war on terror at Ground Zero. So we always say never forget, right? And this is a way that we can ensure that people don't forget. Because, you know, how many kids weren't even born? Obviously, so many weren't even born on September 11, 2001. They should know history because God knows they don't teach it enough in our schools. So once again, we took on that responsibility to make sure that we do teach it and, and keep their stories and their legacies alive. That's great work. 
Uh, Frank, not that you have enough on your plate, but I understand that <laughs> you also <laughs> recently announced that the foundation will be expanding to help like homeless veterans. Yeah, so we're so proud of this. You know, we know that they fought for us. They went to war for us. They And uh, they put their lives on the line for us. But some reason or another, when they came back, they weren't be able to assimilate back into society for whatever reason. Uh, Maybe because they saw their brother next to him shot and killed. Or maybe they saw uh, uh, their sister blown apart uh, from an IED, you know, right in front of them. And they they were at battle, you know, protecting us. And they came back and they weren't able to get back into society in a normal way. And they're out on the street. And I think it's, uh, once again, our responsibility to make sure that they are not forgotten and that they're cared for. And we put some hope back in their lives. And so we build these comfort homes, 500 square foot homes. We're buying uh, property all over the United States. Uh, We're going to build these houses and we're not just going to get them off the street into a home. We're going to make sure they get all the comprehensive services that they're going to need to stay off the street. So we're working with some other great organizations that uh, know all about the social services part that they're going and the emotional services and, you know, and the parts that they're going to need. So we're, we're proud of that. And we already have this year alone over 500 homeless vets off the street. And we just announced uh, not too long ago. So we're well on our way to, uh, to making sure we eradicate homelessness amongst our veterans. Boy, Frank, I don't know. You're going to have to come up with some more ideas for 2023 because uh, you have thought of everything over the past 21 years and, and you keep you keep going strong. I think all the walks and, and runs you participated in, I need to get myself in shape, I think, a little bit better. But you, you, <laughs> Well, you listen, know. you both have to come to the run in New York City next year. You can all walk, right. all right? You don't have to run. We have the pictures of every first responder that died mm. on 9-11 as you come out of the tunnel. We have the names of all 2,977 men and women who died on that fateful day. And then we have the pictures, you ready for this? Held the banners by ROTC and others of the 7,072 men and women that have given their lives on the global war on terror since September 11, 2001. We have their pictures, every single one of them. They're shoulder nice. to shoulder holding the pictures and it, it is, I think, nearly a mile and a half to two miles long of all the pictures of all the guys that die for us protecting us here. So it, it, you come, guys, come next year. It, it's the most patriotic event that you could be in America. And then we have a great celebration afterwards. Uh, we had Dirk Bentley last year playing on the stage for us. And we feed everybody, my New York City firefighters and police officers. You know, I call them the miracle of the loaves and fishes. We feed everybody <laughs> and we have a celebration of all these great heroes and their spirits and their legacies. And they want us to be happy and they want us to be productive people. And so we, we every emotion, you run it the gamut uh, for every emotion on, on that day. But we end in a celebration. Yeah. Well, Frank, I'm going to make every effort to be there next year. Um, I've been to New York once on a case. I was in Brooklyn and I thought they drove crazy in Chicago, but... Um, I, I, st- <laughs> I still hope. No, no, New York is. Make- uh, you have to have a different kind of driver's license to drive in New York. So. Frank, you got it. We'll, we'll both be there, and uh, we want to get all our podcast listeners and our IFCI members there too. Like I said, and after this podcast airs, we are we are going to work hard to bring more members to Tunnel the to Towers and to the great work that you're doing. My last question to you is: When do you sleep? Well, 
I've, I've been blessed with a lot of energy. Maybe I drove my parents crazy as a kid, uh, but I, uh, thank God, I'm, you know, I'm just turning 70 and I've been blessed with a lot of energy and, uh, but sleep is overrated, but I do get some sleep because we all do need it. Well, listen, we don't want to keep you too long. Mike, do you have a final question for Frank? No, I think we have a record here. This could be our longest uh, podcast and we probably could go another half hour. But, uh, I could stay on place. it all night. No. I talk too much? <laughs> no, no, you're very interesting. Everything you talk about is so it's great. You know what you do, Frank. Well, it's, I'll tell it's you, a, the people we're helping are interesting. That's for sure. Sure, uh, yeah. they're great heroes, and uh, it's our life's mission here at the Tunnel to Towers to make sure that we honor them in a proper way. And uh, we're most certainly proud to do it. Mike, Mark, I, I can't thank you enough for having me on today. It's therapeutic for me. I love talking about my brother. He's my inspiration. He's my hero. And uh, anytime I get to speak about him, it's it's always uh, an honor. And once again, you know, we're all going to be together as a family at Thanksgiving. And um, let's all remember those who have left before us and most certainly those who died by protecting us. Never forget. Frank, I, I wish you I wish you health and happiness and, and to the entire Siller family and your foundation, all your employees, what they're doing. Please uh, give them our thanks. And again, one last time for our listeners, can you tell us where people can go to contribute and help the Tunnel to Towers Foundation? Very easy. T, the number 2T.org. That's T2T.org. It stands for Tunnel to Towers, obviously. T2T.org, $11 a month. And that $11 a month can change these great heroes' lives, the families that are left behind. Thank you, Frank, and uh, happy Thanksgiving. You too. God bless. Thanks, Frank. God bless. Mark, wow. You know, listening to Frank, I wrote down three words here, just listening to what he had to say. Energy, faith, and giving. And the more I think about it, what a great show to have out there between Veterans Day and Thanksgiving. What do you think, Mark? Mike, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, with Thanksgiving coming up, uh, there's two words there, thanks and giving. And, and, and again, we're so thankful for having somebody like Frank Siller. And we hope our audience will support this organization by giving to T2T.org. Yeah, like I mentioned, Mark, he has the energy because he's, uh, he's not stopping. He's expanding. He's doing something for uh, the Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute. He's doing something for our homeless veterans. So they continue to grow. They continue to help everyone across our country that needs the help. Yeah, you know, Mike, uh, we're, we were both in law enforcement, and we're pretty good judge of characters. And, and let me tell you, this man is a special person. He has the heart and soul of a saint, and uh, we appreciate what he's doing. Yes, we do. All right. Hey, to our listeners out there, hit the subscribe button. Make sure you don't miss a single episode. That's right, and we're on all the major platforms uh, for podcasts, and we want to hear from you, so please send us an email to our new email address, iafciprotectorspodcasts at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, get feedback about the show, or if there's a topic that you want us to speak about on the podcast, just shoot us an email. Again, it's iafciprotectorspodcasts at gmail.com. We'll see you all soon. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Remember, as you join the fight to protect our citizens, you're not alone. With more than 6,500 members from around the world, the men and women of the IAFCI are standing together with you. 
to learn more or to join the IAFCI, please visit our website at www.iafci.org. The Protectors Podcast is produced by Modified Media and is available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. The hosts and guest opinions are their own and do not reflect those of management, employers, or sponsors. Listeners are encouraged to contact law enforcement if they suspect being a victim of a crime.